Welcome to Smiling in Hell, Chapter 6, Adolescent Angst and a Costly Smoke. Hey, thank you all for coming back to Smiling in Hell, the vlog uh, that I started a little while ago, talking about what it's like to be retired, and uh, before that, uh, what I was like to be looking for a job between gigs, um, and this week, uh, Chapter 6 Adolescent Angst and a Costly Smoke. It was written a little while ago, uh, shortly after the Mother's Day last year. Uh, and uh, so since I took that uh, bittersweet hike down memory lane around Mother's Day, I, I noticed that my somewhat deflating mind was triggering other thoughts and visions of days gone by. As I was having a, a bit of a, a synaptic clog getting that episode of Smiling in Hell going, I thought I'd wrench a few more of those dreamy visions from my cranial fog and drop them off here. You know, like a big old mayo-filled tuna casserole for your uh, listening enjoyment. Now, I know that you probably won't yank at your heart's strings or mean as much to you as they, they do to me, but <laughs> what the heck? Uh, this is my blog or vlog or, or, or uh, whatever the heck this is, um, podcast. If you want to revel in your own bucket of memories, get your own darn podcasts. Anyway, sit back, grab a fork, and uh, dig into a, another time release capsule from a bygone era as Smiling in Hell goes back to another day. You know, there are, there are quite a few muted neon memories that, that poke out of the adult collage of recollections I have as a young lad in the 1960s growing up in the Cleveland suburb of Parma, Ohio. Oh, man, that was a golden age of Goulardi on late night TV, Kenny King's Kentucky Fried Chicken and Parma White Sox, slot car tracks, Manners Big Boy Sandwiches, and listening to the Cleveland Indians on the radio, uh, of putt-putt golf, Lums, hot dogs steamed in beer, falling asleep in my jammies in my parents' car at the drive-in, so Dad had to carry me into bed and, and tuck me in. And though they'd never allow it today, there was the walk we made to John Muir Elementary School every morning for six years. Yeah, even in the bitter Arctic snowy blasts that were Cleveland winters, even though it wasn't uphill both ways, it was still just about a mile. And every day for six years between the first and sixth grades, us kids made that little trek all by our lonesomes or twosomes or threesomes. And we're here to talk about it today, too. There was a, a little delicatessen on the corner of the street that we passed called Bliss's Deli. It was a cinder block cracker box of a building that, along with having all the boring stuff that our parents wanted, like bread and shaving cream, had shelves full of every sort of treasure an elementary school-aged kid would go nuts for. So on those days when we were lucky enough to have squirreled away a dime or two, well, uh, we'd make that short but forbidden stop, view the treasures of Aladdin, and walk out of there with our pockets swollen with penny candy floating on a cloud of red dye 40 and sugar and feeling like we'd just won the lottery. There were lap waxed lips and, and mustaches, red lips, though, had to be the red. I couldn't stand the licorice ones. Little nickel-nip wax bottles filled with red, blue, green, and yellow-colored sugar water. Biddle honey. Mary Jane's, uh, the candy, you know, not the, not the kind you like. 
Bazooka Joe bubblegum, Necco candies, Chuckles, root beer barrels, sugar daddy, atomic fireball so hot that you usually had to take it out of your mouth two or three times just to ease the pain. Pixie sticks, Beeman's blackjack and clove gum, Boston baked beans, bubble gum, chocolate and candy cigarettes. You can still find them now, but... They were special back then. Oh, and those little candy dots that were stuck on paper. And, and of course, my all-time favorite, marshmallow candy ice cream cones. Man, I love them. I could pretend they were like real ice cream and make them last for, well, several minutes at least. So even though we were told by our parents not to stop and to come straight home, on those days when we felt particularly flush with our 20 or 30 cents, my buddies and I could would swagger into Bliss's Deli like the Earp Brothers into the Oriental Saloon. And after worshiping at the altar of confectionery delights, we'd come out like Robin Hood's merry men, pretending to swill down our dad's beer out of those colorful little wax bottles, licking our little marshmallow ice cream cones as if we'd just come from Howard Johnson's, and of course, showing off our, our waxed lips and stashes. After we'd gone through three or four of these semi-toxic wax disguises, they'd eventually take up permanent residence in our young yaps, only to get chewed into a major league cheek-stretching wad of wax big enough to make a Yankee candle out of. And that's how I'd walk into the house, all sneaky-like, right? And try to convince Mom that, why, no, I didn't stop at Bliss's. Wax candy? What wax candy? Oh, Mom. Good old eyes in the back of her head, Mom. Oh, yeah. She knew. She always knew. Whether it was my trying to hide a three-pound boulder of dead wax lips in my cheek, or the time I sneaked, uh, snuck, snoked, a, a single cigarette at the less than provident direction of my older brother, she knew. See, it was while I was at a drive-in movie with my brother, his girlfriend, and her younger sister. I suppose it was a little like a date, but for this young. 12-year-old in 1967, that night truly became one of my earliest experiences of smiling in hell. It didn't help that the night began with my brother saying he's taking his date to the drive-in, and my folks suggesting, oh, happy-like, well, why don't you take your brother? Take your brother? My God, my brother would have rather endured getting a dozen fillings Novocaine-free from our dentist, Dr. Mangale, than take me along on what I am sure he envisioned as his quest for the Holy Grail of Amore that night. But despite his Herculean effort to defy the command, take me, he did, mainly because my dad promised to sequester the keys to the car for a month if he didn't. The curse was, was only to get worse when, on sharing the apocalyptic news with his date for the evening, he was told that it was all right. She'd bring her little sister. That it would be fun. 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 He didn't want to have fun. He wanted to make out. <laughs> he was now officially the captain of the Titanic, and, and I was, well, an iceberg. But I digress. That was merely the lead up to another sci-fi channel example of my mom's ability to see through space and time.
So off we went to the movies. But let's us first fast forward a few hours and visualize my walk of shame as I entered our house while suffering a gunshot-like agony of the worst case of stomach gas brought on by a single try to look cool like my brother and impress this couldn't care less little sister cigarette that did it. Okay, I'm sure that the popcorn, soda, jujubes, milk duds, and other cinema snack largesse that my brother plied me with sure didn't help. I mean, he must have sent me uh, to the snack bar half a dozen times to keep me out of his hair while he and his paramour du jour could disappear in the spacious back seat of my dad's Ford Galaxy 500, popping up only occasionally for air and long enough to see just enough of the movie to be able to answer any film noir-like parental de de detective interrogations that may happen to flank him later that night. What's wrong? My mom asked as I came in the house and made a beeline for the john. She obviously didn't expect me to be home yet since it was still fairly early in the evening, certainly too early for a drive-in double feature to be over. I wonder, I don't even remember what the movies were. But see, my brother, at the first sign of a fraternal sand trap in his plans, simply took me home tossed me out of the car in our driveway like an unfortunate victim of the Corleones. Leave the kid, take the cannoli. And squealed off to hijack a few more minutes of teenage love or bliss or whatever he thought he could get away with. Speaking of whatever, you might be wondering what, what happened to his girlfriend's younger sister, whose name I don't remember. Actually, I have no idea what happened to her. For all I know, she was last seen driving a 16-wheeler through West Virginia with a trailer full of Marlboros with no filters. Tommy ache, I hollered over my shoulder to my mom as if shouting in order to jump to the 42nd Airborne as they flew over the drop zone. Be right out! But I wasn't right out. In fact, I did everything I could while I was in there except read all of War and Peace or drop the transmission on my dad's car. When I finally did Houdini myself from my self-imposed imprisonment, Warden, I mean mom, was standing there in the hall waiting. Are you all right? She asked. There was certainly sincere concern in her tone, but enough of a tilt to her head and attitude for me to hear just a smidgen of suspicion. Uh, yeah, I said. I think I ate too much popcorn at the drive-in. I was very pleased with that. Very, very palpable and very believable, with enough previous precedence to smother it in credibility. My wistful look and slight rubbing of my stomach provided just the right amount of brando so that I knew, I just knew I had sold it easily. Were you smoking? She asked. Hey, what? How the H-E double hockey sticks did she know? I asked myself. What? incredible, prescient, and omniscient skills did this uncanny maternal sorceress possess anyway? What was she, Kreskin? Jean Dixon? Jimmy the Greek? I know I shouldn't have been surprised, since after all, I'd known this lady all of my life, but I was not only completely taken aback, I was taken affront and a sideways. Of course, I considered completely denying all charges and even feigning such a show of righteous indignation that even Spencer Tracy, in judgment at Nuremberg, would have had to give in to my pleas. But just as I was about to call my first witness, though, I, I came to my 12-year-old senses and 
decided that if any feeble attempt at bumbling denial was considered, I knew, just knew, that my vain attempt at any type of rebuttal would have just made the impending sentence worser. I crumbled like a folding chair. I, I only had one, I whispered, barely audibly, while almost, but not quite, almost playing the tears card. I figured I might need that ploy later, so I tucked it away in my mental bag of tricks, just in case. Just, just one, I repeated. She peered at me for what seemed like an hour, holding my gaze with the almost Rasputin intensity that she'd perfected over the years. Finally, she shook her head ever so slightly, as if weighing all of the evidence presented at the O.J. Simpson trial and softly pronounced the verdict. Go tell your father you're sorry. Oh, no, I thought. I mean, I knew I'd screwed up, but I didn't think it was an infraction worth taking the case to the high court. Not the Lord High Executioner, Judge Roy Bean, Judges Judy Wapner and Harry Anderson all rolled into one. The major judge in the land, not my dad. And you had to notice that she'd said father and not dad. Tell your father, she said. So I knew it was serious. If she'd said dad, that meant you could cajole, joke, tap dance, weep, or maybe even giggle your way to a lighter sentence. Father meant you were toast. Even your best Gomer Pyle impression was useless in such a situation. My finely honed golly and Shazam, Sergeant Carter, normally received with guffaws would be wasted, wasted and lost. Not that my dad or father was ever a mean, cruel or tough man. He rarely, if ever, raised his voice and never, ever raised his hand to me or my brother. Not that we didn't deserve it sometimes either, but he was more of a Fred McMurray meets Ben Cartwright meets Odin hybrid that just seemed to work for him and certainly kept my brother Loki and I in check. So there I was, walking the green mile across the black and white vinyl squares of the kitchen floor to where Dad was doing some work at the dining table. Dead man walking, I thought. As I got closer, I could, I could tell he knew I was there by the slight inching up of his shoulders as he stopped punching numbers on the old style adding machine. And notice I said adding machine and not a computer or even a calculator back then. There were no such things in a domestic kitchen back then. I think computers still took up a city block. See, this was a kind of mechanical analog machine, only slightly smaller than a Volkswagen that you had to push these little button number, number buttons down and hit the calculate button. And then the machine would whir and sound like a cog railway while it was siphoned before chunking out the answer to your calculation. It's like chunk, 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 chunk. If you push down too many number buttons too fast, it would get all jammed up, like it got confused and, and mad at you. And then you had to unplug it, reset it, and start over, uh, lo thus losing any work you'd been doing. It's sort of like a Flintstone reboot. And I know this happened because I did that a lot. Oh, yeah, Dad loved that too. Sorry, Dad, I said without even saying what I was sorry for. I was pretty sure the chief investigator had already provided him with all of the evidence of the case before I ever came out of the bathroom, so there wasn't any sense in replaying that. I also considered trying to reduce the severity of the crime by explaining that it was only one cigarette, or throwing my brother under the bus and say he made me, forced me, dared me to take a smoke, or even, and this would have been worthy of a capital punishment, reminding him, well, you know, mom smokes. 
Common sense took over. Thank God. I, I just hung my head in shame. You know, Tom Dooley had nothing on me. And finally, he turned around to look at me for yet another parental eternity while I considered all the things I would never get a chance to do since I would probably be grounded for the rest of my life, maybe longer. And while I was pondering my fate, he finally took a deep sigh and picked up his pipe. Oh, oh yeah, he was a pipe smoker too, but I opted not to bring that up. Then he did what was by far the worst thing he could do. He simply said, not mad. I'm just disappointed. Oh, no. Not the I'm just disappointed curse. What kid wouldn't have gladly swapped a week of no TV or even a, a crack on our dupa in exchange for the I'm just disappointed chant created by the chief torturer during the Spanish Inquisition, <coughs> which nobody expects. This little phrase was designed to suck the total will to live your very spirit and the sweet essence from your young soul before landing on your shoulders like an anvil, only to hang there for days. Ironic, too, that dang spell continued to be incanted and still worked on me almost till I was out of college. Almost. Well, that was the end of it for me. I he went on to say some things like, you won't do it again, right? And I hope you learned it's not good for you. And other good parenting stuff like that. But to be honest, the rest of the evening was kind of a blur. At that point, I was done. I just nodded while staring at my PIA flyers and sniffled a little, but just a little. He gave me a hug and a smile and shuffled me off to bed where I lay awake, testing or tasting cigarette smoke and plotting ways to get even with my brother. Postscript, uh, dupa. It's a Slovak euphemism for your backside, hiney, rear end, bum, keister, butt, uh, a, you know what, uh, caboose, gluteus maximus, etc. Like, if you don't do what I say, you'll get a crack on your dupa, which I always thought was silly because you already have one. Well, thanks again for listening to Smiling in Hell. I'll be back in another week or so with the next next chapter. And hopefully you'll be here to listen to it. Have a great day and keep smiling in hell.